there, and welcome to Season 2 of Burnt Outs Badass. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Wiseman, and I am bringing you stories of burnout to normalize the conversation, to name burnout so that we can overcome it and start living our most badass lives. Today's guest is Dr. Laura Berenstein. After career as a pediatric cardio anesthesiologist, Dr. Laura Berenstein is now pursuing her dream of coaching physicians for personal and professional development and well-being. She's a steering committee meter and coach for the Society of Pediatric Anesthesia, Women's Empowerment and Leadership Initiative. Laura has traveled worldwide on mission trips, teaching physicians how to take care of children with complex congenital heart disease, and has recently edited and published in the Congenital Cardiac Anesthesia, a case-based approach. She has three amazing daughters who inspire her daily, and currently, Laura is an adjunct professional of clinical anesthesia at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center and the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. Okay, let's get into our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, my friend, my fellow physician, Dr. Laura Berenstain. It's so great to have you. Thank you, Erin. It is so nice of you to ask me to be here. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about my favorite topic, and I know you have quite a story to go along with it, but talking about your burnout journey. So take me back to the beginning. Can you say that there was a definitive point for which when your burnout started? I think it's one of those things that looking backwards, you can pick certain points and you can say, oh, that was a danger moment. But I think as I went through it, I didn't always recognize those as specific danger moments. I saw them as challenges, right? I need to work harder. I need I need to try more. And if I do this, then this will work, right? I think it was really insidious for me. And one of the things that made the fall hard when it happened was I think I had convinced myself that if I just worked hard enough, I could overcome anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think if you were sitting in the seat of your friends and your family, what did your burnout look like on the outside to them? I think probably for a long time, it didn't look much different than the way they'd known me for years. I was busy. I was overcommitted. I had three daughters. And I mean, so time was always full, right? And I think that was actually a good thing. And in some ways, almost a protective thing for me, because as long as I was busy and getting things done, I could kind of keep my mind off the larger issue, which was I was losing myself. And give the listeners a little bit about about your background. So I'm a pediatric cardiac anesthesiologist. And it's not anything I ever planned to be. I did always want to be a physician, but I had no idea I'd end up in anesthesia, much less Pete's cardiac, but right mentor, right place. And it's what I was meant to do. And I love it. You take care of really sick kids. They're my people. Yes. Absolutely. And so from the outside, you look like a busy doctor, mom, kicking ass, take names, girls at home, activities, all the things, but what did it feel like on the inside? It felt like it was a shell of a person. It felt like there was this person doing all of these things, but there was nobody home inside a lot of the time. Yeah. And you had mentioned in your questionnaire when we were talking before, some feelings that came up were like despair, depression, anger. 
I hear anger a lot when I'm talking to professional women about their burnout. Where do you think your anger came from? Well, I think that was very late in my burnout by the time I was really actually able to name that and own it. But I think by then, a lot of that came from the fact that I was at the top of my game clinically, but academically, I wasn't getting where I wanted to be. And that was another thing. I didn't know what to do differently about that. My CV was growing. Every year I got great reviews, but I didn't get promoted. And so in my own mind, I had become something of a failure. The person who could do any case, no matter how difficult, but just didn't matter enough to get promoted. So I was sad and angry. It seems like those are the like two little devils sitting on our shoulders. They fight back and forth. And so for you, as you were reckoning this and and as life was moving on, was it a dark night of the soul moment or was it a eureka moment that kind of shook you up? It was a dark night of the soul moment. I, I remember it very specifically just because I came home from work and my husband, who is a saint, asked me, as he often does, you know, how was work? What'd you do today? And I just said, I don't want to talk about it. And for the first time in our relationship, he actually raised his voice to me. And he just said, you need to get out before this kills you. And, and how did that sit with you initially? It stunned me partly because he had raised his voice, which is so uncharacteristic for him. But it stunned me also because I knew he was right. I, I mean, I, I, I was seriously depressed at that point and I knew it. And from that moment moving forward, what was your journey like from there? Did you leave immediately or was there some planning, some navigating? There was planning and navigating because I had no idea what the future held. And I could have just stopped working at that point, but somehow that was never part of my plan. I knew that there was more that I was going to do. I wanted to believe there were things I was meant to do. So it was navigating. It was navigating. And I went locums for a while. I worked part-time and considered my options. I think that pause and taking a break, or at least taking a break from what is the, the normal in your life, really helps you get a sense in that. Who or what was instrumental during this time when you were navigating? I think this was actually a really quiet time in some ways because, you know, I was home more than I had been in a long time. I had a chance to read and think about things. And I was looking a lot at gender and medicine and what were the issues and what were the statistics and was I alone in this? But then I was reaching out to friends. And so one of those reach outs ended up in a job opportunity. And during this, was this a time when you started doing a lot of writing, especially the book? Actually, no, the book came much later. No, the book came at a point when I more or less, after taking this new job, had taken it with no expectations and said to myself, there is no should anymore, right? I only do this if it has deep meaning for me or if I feel like it's going to leave things better. So one or the other. And the book was born out of the realization that there are so many kids with congenital heart disease who need anesthesia who need it for non-cardiac procedures, and there are not enough cardiac anesthesiologists to go around. So if my colleagues are going to take care of those kids, they need a guide. So I decided, what the heck? Why not? Why not? I'm well qualified. I've been doing this a while. So you took the kind of the pause, the step back, started doing locums, reaching out to colleagues and friends, got the new job opportunity, 
saw your world, it sounds like starting to crack open with new possibilities? Yeah, I think the other thing that happened at this point was the Society for Pediatric Anesthesia started an initiative called WELLY for short, which is the Women's Empowerment and Leadership Initiative that involved coaching and mentoring promising women leaders. So you could not have found anything more guaranteed to make me want to put my heart and soul into it than bringing other women along and helping make sure we gave them a better pathway. Yeah. And so you got to be, did you participate in that? Did you get to be part of leading that? Tell me more. I got part of that on every level. So I was a steering committee member and helped, you know, make the early decisions about how we were going to get started and how we were going to set this up and what we should do. I was one of the first mentor coaches for another woman. And then I also said, Hey, by the way, uh, can I be a mentee too? Because I'm sure there's somebody I need to learn from and I got the world's best mentor and that made a difference too. Yeah. As much as we need to feed into other people, we ourselves need to be filled as well. It was fantastic. A huge important point that like mentorship goes both ways and it's lifelong. Yes. And, and I wanted somebody specifically who I felt like, what are the things I need to know more about? Well, let me pick that person. I want that person to be my mentor. And that's what I did. He's fantastic. And so what is life like now? So life is getting recreated yet again, because I was three years in that job and then COVID hit. And so at that point, since I had been commuting during those three years, COVID really made that pretty impractical and unfair to my husband, who is very tolerant. And at that point, I had been promoted to professor. Um, The book was well underway and almost going to print. I had entered coaching school and was on the road to becoming a coach myself. So I felt like, okay, it's time to take stock of everything and figure out what the next step is, even though I'm not quite sure yet. And so in March, I came home to Philadelphia and I've been here for the last six months um, taking the next steps. I love it, which includes your leadership, which includes application in medicine and coaching other people. Absolutely amazing. You know, one question I had asked you on your your forum was, what do you want listeners to really in their hearts know and do after hearing our podcast together? And I have to read this answer because it's beautiful and it, it just makes my heart sing. But you said, even when it seems like it's over, it's not. Give me more to that. I think. What that means is you see, at the time this all really went down, I was 57 years old. Everybody in the world asked me, oh, are you retiring? And all I could say was no, because I didn't have more than that to say, because I wasn't sure what I would be doing. I just knew I wouldn't be retiring yet. Okay. But there was a part of me too, that just thought, would they ask a man who was 57 if he was retiring? And I wasn't sure that they would, right? But yet I myself worried that it was over because at that age, who's going to look at me and say, yeah, what next? Except it turns out that all the best things in my career have happened since that time, right? And and I don't know where it's going to end. There's still more stuff happening. It's not over. It's not over till it's over. That's for sure. The other thing you wrote me was to listen to those who love you. I can think of so many times in my own life where I've let other people their opinion have stock in my life, but yet I don't go home to them at night. 
and they don't buy me Christmas presents or hold my hair back when I'm puking. (laughs) Yes. You know, so many times we let that, those opinions permeate our brain. And it sounds like for you, your husband's voice of just quit. This is not worth it was so vital. It, it really was. I mean, he had been trying to gently say that to me for a while. But the idea that somebody loved me enough to just almost want to shake me and say, you need to stop because this is bad for you. What's happening here? Okay. And you're right. We spend most of our days at our work environment, right? And so that's intrinsically what you do. You seek value from people you're around all the time. And the message I got from them was, I felt you don't matter. I finally had to listen to the one person who said to me, you matter. So good. Well, Dr. Laura, it's so great to sit down and talk with you. If there are other people who are hearing your story and are like, oh my gosh, I need more of this, where can they connect with you? So they can connect with me via Twitter. Um, They can connect with me via LinkedIn. And any day now, lauraberenstein.com is going to go live. So they can do that too. Yay! And we'll have all those links in the show notes as well. You, my friend, are a total badass. And the the badass in me totally honors the badass in you. Erin, thank you so much. You are an inspiration. I'm always so thrilled to share these stories that are so transformative, that encourage, inspire, and infuse all of us with hope and inspiration. If you need some more of that in your life, come hang out with me at burntouttobadass.com. Check the show notes. We got lots of great resources, and I would love to see you in there. All right. And don't forget, my friend, the badass in me honors the badass in you.